Welcome to It's a New Day. You're listening to 1180 WFYL. Tim Liebig in the studio. And this morning, those ancient words mm. will be brought to us by our friend Ken Souter as we dive into Biblically Speaking today. Good morning, Ken. How hey, good morning, Tim. Doing great. Always a pleasure being with you, my yeah, friend. Yeah, me too. Always a pleasure. And uh, we've got a great, great mm. program this morning. I think so. And, I hope so. <laughs> and you know what? This is this. I'm really glad that we're doing this because, as much as I'm in the Word, mm. I I gotta tell you, I'm mm. not in numbers all that much. Yeah. And we're going to be diving into the numbers tonight. Yeah, you know? numbers. It's in the Old Testament: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fourth book. And if yeah. you want to turn your Bibles to there this morning, we would uh, greatly appreciate that yeah. as you follow along. And but, we're going to, uh, at the uh, at the bottom of the hour, we're going to uh, have our friend Dr. Ken Matta right. join us. Right. And uh, we're going to talk about, do we accept Christ or does he accept us? Right. Very interesting. That's a great question. I think right? that should uh, stir some controversy, if not, but uh, we'll see. We'll and, see. Uh, well, with Dr. Matta, you never know. You never know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, today we're going to uh, talk about uh, the Old Testament, a man named Caleb. Now, before we even get into this, I'd like to remind you that uh, this is a true story. This is not uh, fairy tales. When we say Bible stories, a lot of times we have you know images of little kids in Sunday school and they're pasting their little figures on the wall and you know this sort of thing like it's a fairy tale. It's not a fairy tale. This happened at around 1500 B.C. Now, the Bible isn't primarily a history book, but it does teach us history of things that really happen. So it's a true story of a man who had a believing spirit when everyone else doubted, feared, and even hated his optimism to the point of wanting to stone him. Hmm. Um, you know, this story is found in the Old Testament book of Numbers, as we said, chapters 13 and 14. Let me say something about the Old Testament before we even get into it. I like to remind you that the Old Testament was given by God to help us to learn of God's workings in history mm -hmm. so that we might hold on to our hope of the future. Um, Romans 15, 4, for whatever things, whatsoever things were written aforetime, and that's the Old Testament, were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So those who come along and say, you know, the Old Testament is the Old Covenant, we don't look there anymore, are missing out on a lot, really. This, uh, so remember this the next time uh, someone tells you that there is no need for the Old Testament. It's been preserved for our learning, for our encouragement, so that we might have hope. And boy, that's what we need today, don't we? You know, there's also, there's a lot of teaching, and uh, I've been blessed by uh, a wonderful teacher who has a a wonderful knack of taking this what's written in the Old Testament mm -hmm. and relating it to the coming yeah. of Christ and and the right. and the being alive with Jesus Christ today. It, it's amazing. This this the Old Testament foretells the New Testament. It does. It very much so does. And the New Testament actually is a commentary on the Old Testament. So if you want to know what the Old Testament means, look in the New Testament. It's probably 
been explained there in some way, shape, or form. And how often did Jesus yeah. refer to the Old Testament? Many, many quotes in the New Testament are from the Old Testament, believe it or not. Some of the things that we think are New Testament are actually Old Testament. So it's all one Bible, it's all one book, uh, two different, uh, uh, what we would call dispensations, but uh, you know, basically one central theme running through the entire Bible, and that is that you know, God is redeeming his creation back to the original Garden of Eden. And I to go on your your reminder at the very beginning, uh, I always I always fall to Second Timothy, three sixteen and seventeen, mm-hmm. and yes, Second Timothy, uh, this is where where Paul all scripture was, right? was teaching uh, Timothy uh, to to kind of take over his ministry and and reminded him that all scripture is God breathed, all scripture is God breathed, mm-hmm. and it's useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness, and uh, so that any servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good mm-hmm. work. Yep. And uh, there's there's the reminder that... Uh, Amen. Another reminder about our program yeah. is you want to make sure you go to 1180wfyl.com, click on Listen Live, yeah. and don't forget, if you, get, if you have to go into your office before the end of this program today, make sure that you go to the podcast. Not only that, there's going to be YouTube ver- versions of every one of our programs. So you'll so be you, able to see us? <laughs> you'll be able to see us, not this program, because yeah. we're not recording this uh, right. uh, on, uh, on, on tape. Is that? <laughs> on tape. <laughs> tape. <laughs> on video. But uh, tape. What's tape? But, uh, <laughs> but the other programs are, and, but it will, be, it will be on the YouTube. So you can, you can go to 1180WFYL, uh, the YouTube uh, channel, and also... 1180wfyl.com, go to the podcast and listen to this program and, and all the other wonderful programs later. Great. Great. Remind all your friends of that so I love while that. we're reminding you of things. I, I, the, I just love the technology. It's getting better and better uh, all the time, and uh, it really does uh, uh, give us many more opportunities, especially as we think about kingdom building and how we can use technology to uh, advance the kingdom, because that's Indeed. what I'm all about. Indeed. You know? It absolutely does. So let's dig in here. It's uh, Numbers chapter 13 here. I'm going to summarize uh, this uh, chapter a little bit. Numbers uh, 13, 1 through 16. Here we have a, a listing of the 12 men who were chosen by the 12 tribes. Then we have 12 tribes in Israel. And just for a little background, they were coming out of Egypt under slavery and bondage, and God brought them out, and he was going to bring them in. See, that's the other aspect of, of our salvation. We all get the fact that we're being brought out, right? Out of Egypt. We're out of sin, and God gives us salvation. He saves us from sin, from bondage, and that's what Egypt represents. But what we don't get is the fact that God is bringing us in to something as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a, an aspect of coming out and an aspect of going in. But anyway, here we have these men, one from each tribe. They're leaders in their tribes. There's 12 tribes. And, um, you know, Moses selects them and leads them. And he says, uh, you know, here are the names. Okay, so I'm not going to go through all the names in chapter 13, 1 through 16, but you can read them. In uh, Numbers 13, 17 to 25, in this section, Moses tells them more specifically what to look for. Now, they are to go to spy out the land, mm-hmm. to look at it, to see if it's fat or lean, and, you know, economically. Is it prosperous or is it not? Check out the cities. Are they living in tents or strongholds? You know, is this a tent city over there? Or they have high rises and 
that sort of thing, to make it more contemporary, I guess. Is there wood there for energy and that sort of thing? And he told them to bring back some fruit. And, they're, and they're, you know, so they did this. After 40 days, they were in the land and they were looking around. Indeed, they found that it was a very prosperous land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they did bring back a cluster of grapes. It was so heavy, it had to be borne by two men on a staff, on a pole. So there's, there were not uh, to, uh, there, there's that. Okay, so then we're going to move on to Genesis 13, same chapter, 26 through 33. Here we have uh, the report. Now they come back uh, with a report. And two of them give a very positive report. And 10 of them, the majority, we'll call it the majority report, give a negative report. Mm. So let's see what happens here. The majority is believed, but they come back and say, you know, wait a second, this is all good. Surely it's a land that flows with milk and honey and there's fruit in it. We brought it back. Nevertheless, and this is verse uh, 28 in verse, in chapter 13, mm-hmm. nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And more, moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses. Here comes Caleb. And what did he say? He said, let us go up at once, possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Mm-hmm. But the men that went with him said, We be not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we are. They're much stronger. How are we ever going to do this? So they brought an evil report. Ye of little faith. Yeah. Isn't that <laughs> so typical today? I find in Christian circles that when you're optimistic in this day and age, when we look around and we see the horrible things, the giants in the land, Mm -hmm. the homosexuals taking over, you know, humanism in our schools, transgenderism, and you throw all this stuff out, you say, forget it. It's not going to work. There's giants in the land. (laughs) And yet people like you can yeah. go and give away bibles at a school that's what we're doing successfully hundreds of bibles and there rec- i would say 80, 80% of them received it with great thanksgiving yeah so yeah. i mean here's the deal don't the believe devil, everything you see the devil wants you to be discouraged that's right. he really does but there's a lot of good stuff going on and yeah there's bad stuff going on but the wheat and the tares grow together as we talked about previously in kingdom parables now we move over to Numbers 14. I want to kind of get through this so that we can um, get to the application because I think that's really important here. Um, you know, what's the reaction after this majority report comes out? Okay. And the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us up to this land? All these questions now, right, coming forward. Why are we here? Why did you bring me here? Mm -hmm. We're going to just fall by the sword. 
and our wives and our children are going to be prey. It's all about the kids, right? We don't want to, this is why we're not going because the kids are going to, we want to protect the kids. We want to protect the kids. Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. So Mm. they want to go back to slavery. Yeah, too much. Because it's, uh, they've had leaks back there and they had, uh, you know, pomegranates and all kind of good Mm. stuff back in slavery. Isn't that so typical? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't want to face these guys. This is too much work. I didn't buy into this kind of gospel. Right. Guys, I know it's a good land. It's all wonderful and all good, but... I know I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to go in and deal with this? It's not going to happen. Let's go back. Let's go back. How about verses 5 through 10 now in chapter 14 in Numbers? A good report. If the Lord delight in us, this is coming from Caleb, then he will bring us into this land. What's the reaction? <laughs> Stone him with stones. Mm-hmm. Okay. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land flowing with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Bread for us. We're going to eat them up alive. That's what that means. What a totally contradiction to what these others are saying. Mm-hmm. Their defenses departed from them. They, 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 it's like a cat without claws, man. They're not going to be able to do anything. That's right. They're going to bark, but they're not going to do anything. And the Lord is with us. Fear, Fear them, them not. not. Yeah. Okay. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. What amazing. So now we move to verses 11 through 19. Here we see God's righteous anger to destroy the people. Moses plea for, uh, for them and reminds God of his long-suffering and great mercy. God's about to take them out and says, look, give me another nation. I want a better nation. These people aren't even listening to me. They don't care. They don't believe me. I've just about had it with them. But Moses intercedes. This is so fascinating because the Lord, and he says, because he says, the reason that you don't want to destroy them is because the Lord, people are going to say that the Lord was not able to bring in this people into the land, which he swear unto them. Therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. So he was trying to really, he was concerned about the reputation, God's reputation. He wasn't able to bring them in. Mm-hmm. And so what does God come back with in verses 20 through 35? I have pardoned according to thy word, thy word, Moses, I'm going to pardon according to your word, but get into the wilderness to slowly die. In other words, we're, we're, we still have something here that we're going to do. You're going to go into the wilderness. You're going to die. Except your little ones, 20 years old and upward, all to die except Caleb because he had another spirit. So what happens is God puts them out in the wilderness, tells them to go into the wilderness so that an entire generation will die. Hmm. But he says, for my servant Caleb, because he hath another spirit with him and hath followed me fully. Just let those words sink in. And hmm. followed me fully. Him will I bring into the land wherein he went and his seed shall possess it. And indeed, that's exactly what happened. He went into the land 40 years later, 
He went into the wilderness for 40 years, but then he came out of the wilderness after all of them died. He alone with Joshua were alive, and he went into the land. Here God takes action. God kills, in verses 36 to 45, God kills the 10 men for bringing up evil through a, a plague. Fear strikes the people so they decide to go in, but it's too late. Moses warns them not to go in because God is not among you and you will get killed by the inhabitants of the land. So finally they get it. They say, look, mm. this is pretty serious. <laughs> people are dying because we're not going in. We'll go in. Yeah, we'll go in now. But guess what? It's too late. It's too late. God says, don't go in because they're going to be destroyed. And sure enough, they presumptuously go in against the commandment of God. Boy, these people are, I mean, just not really uh, following the Lord. No. <laughs> we shall not prosper. So they go up and the Lord's not among them and they're smitten before their enemies. So that basically is the story of Caleb, a man of another spirit. The question I want to look at now for the remaining minutes of this segment is, you know, what can we learn from all this? I think there are several things, but uh, I think the main idea here is that God's, uh, God's promises and commands are to be taken seriously. We are told in other passages that Caleb and Joshua wholly followed the Lord. God requires us to give our bodies as living sacrifices to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. Lukewarm Christians will not inherit the kingdom of God, Revelation 3.16. And God wants all your thoughts, affections, and obedience to wholly follow the Lord, to enjoy all the milk and honey they'd have to, we have to endure battles and tribulations. That's kind of the gospel. That is That kind of gospel today is avoided, like the plague. We want peace. God has called us to war against the principalities and powers in high places. Our weapons are not carnal, though, thank God. That is, they are not knives and guns, but spiritual, which are actually more powerful against the invaders. And they are invaders. You see, the earth belongs to the Lord, not the invaders. Also, a major theme here is that when we are saved, we are not only go out, as I said before, of Egypt, but we also are called to go in and do something. What is that you ask? The kingdom of God. God enlists us into his army to go forth to conquer all his enemies until they are all put under his feet. This is the very slow, progressive, but certain project that God is, calls the kingdom of God. It grows by the faithful preaching of the gospel, which changes hearts, families, whole cities, and countries. And it began over 2,000 years ago, and it will continue to grow until all the elect are saved and the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We learned this a few weeks ago when I was, you know, went through all the kingdom parables that the parable of the mustard seed tree and the parable of the leaven, it's, a, it's an expansion of the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And that's how we are to pray. Doing this work will, not, will be met with resistance and persecution, but we are assured that King Jesus will subdue his enemies. He will protect us. He will divide the part the sea and bring his elect into the promised land. So we can be of good cheer, Jesus says, in the world. He shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, it, 
so when we think about today, when we think about today, there there are a lot of people that think that terror is more contagious than courage. Courage uh, it, it takes it takes a lot to be courageous. And boy, we need that today, don't we? And we do. Um, it, there, are, uh, but I think rather than saying terror is more contagious contagious than courage, <clears throat> I think there are many that will just not stand up. Mm-hmm. Not that they'll go with the crowds. Right. Not that they'll necessarily believe all the negativity. They just won't do anything. Right. They'll they'll try to straddle the fence. Sort of straddle the yeah. fence, and as long as I'm fat, dumb, and happy, and I can, right. you know, bread and circuses, everything is moving yep. forward in my life. I'll be okay. But you you see what happens to those those people. They they are can be considered faithless cowards. Exactly. They really can. Right. Uh, so. It, yeah, these are harsh words, and they're they're difficult words. But here's the positive spin that I see on it: is it you can be courageous by asking for help when you feel your your any time that I feel that I'm uh, becoming uh, cowardly or, mm-hmm. <laughs> or 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 out of control, where I need guidance, I always remember these three words. Jesus, help me. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime I'm facing any giants. Right. And folks, we all have giants in our lives. And they may not be the, the you know, the huge walls and, and the giants that uh, that were faced back in, you know, 1500 BC. But we have our own giants. We have our own situations that we have to face. And are our giants here's a here's a good question yeah. because I, I wanna I wanna interject here. Are our giants mainly internal and personal? Wow, that's a good question. And uh, spiritual versus external and you know more, I, more I material, would, I would say. I would think for the most part our our giants are internal. I would I, I would say that go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say I, I think I think most of our giants are internal because when we look at a situation physically with our eyes or we hear something with our ears, we then choose to internalize it and decide how we're going to respond or react or not react. Mm-hmm. So we see something and then we decide it's a giant that we don't want to mm-hmm. fight. Is that... well? I think there's an aspect to it. I think there's an external aspect to it as well. I mean, when we go out and preach the gospel and share with people and not share with them, but proclaim to them that Jesus Christ is King and Lord, you're going to receive opposition Mm -hmm. and you're going to say, wait a second, this, this school district is never going to accept this. That's too big. What did you do? You, You went to a Philadelphia school to hand out Bibles to kids as they're walking to school. Are you crazy? You know how dangerous it is down there? There's giants down there. That's what I'm talking about. That's true. That's an external giant. And that is an external giant. And that takes a different kind of bravery. It does. You know, it, it, I mean, you're talking about your physical yeah. body at that point. Yeah. I mean, you're in areas where, and, you know, I want to break the news to you. We have another school on the horizon that we're looking at. And we're playing, there's only 37 schools in Philadelphia. And by God's grace, we're going to do it. Yeah. Even the worst one out there, which is Mayor Bowden. I don't want to let that out too much yet, but. That's kind of my thinking, and I'm praying for that. 
But uh, external giants, I mean, when you go on a mission field, you face giants. You face giants of uh, opposition. What about um, who are the missionaries that were killed in Ecuador? Right. Um, because right. of their your, your stand and going into a jungle. Now, that's an external giant. You say, why are you going there? That's crazy. Why in the world would you want to go there? Of all places, right? So what I'm just trying to say is, yes, there are internal giants. I think we always internalize it, but there's that ex, a, a, that aspect of being external as well. That's true. You're absolutely right. I have a friend that uh, that is an eye doctor, and he will uh, he'll go to the worst parts of the world. Yeah. To help care for people, and he does it in the name of Jesus Christ. Right, and right. Uh, he's using his God-given talents right. uh, to go and to help people right. that are in places where there are many, many more people there that don't want them to be there in God's name helping. Well, exactly. You know, and you look at what's going on in Hong Kong. That's basically a Christian movement that's oh, going absolutely. on there, and uh, they're facing external giants. What is more powerful than China? You ever mm-hmm. see their army? And their military parades, you, it just kind of makes me think of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. You know, <laughs> not, you know, uh, you know, just huge, huge, insurmountable odds. But you know, with, when we go with God, the Bible says that greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. Amen. In the world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Would we believe that today? We have to stand up. We have to proclaim the truth. That Jesus Christ is King and yeah. Lord. Right now, every, right here. Exactly. And every knee shall bow. You have two choices, to bow the knee or be exterminated. Yeah. That's the only choice yeah. that our King is giving you today. And there's and, a lot There's a lot of examples out there. And, and it's funny you mentioned Nebuchadnezzar because that that's I, I'm big on personal testimonies. People that have uh, shared their life before Christ and when they came to Christ and their life after uh, uh, being born again and being part of Christ. And uh, I, I, every time I hear a testimony, I hear the story, an individual, somebody's own personal story of how they stood up against a giant and they they came to Christ and Christ has mm-hmm. protected them ever since. Mm-hmm. And when I think of old King Nebuchadnezzar, yeah. he, he was the one of the original testimonies where how he lived his life before Christ and then uh, when he came to Christ and how his life changed afterwards. We, we, need, we need men today of this kind of spirit. We need men like Ronald Reagan. Remember that? Yeah. He went to Berlin and, and had that wonderful speech. I forget what year it was. But Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this, down this wall. And get what's happened. It, it happened. I would have thought that anybody would have prayed that communism would end in the great Soviet Union. Mm. Would have been crazy. You're crazy. Why would you be? Why would you pray that? That's not going to happen. We, we, that'll never happen. And yet, it did. It did happen. Amen. So, with God, all things are possible. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, the great thing is that God is looking around as says says in second chronicles 16:9 i believe that the eyes of the lord run to and fro through the whole earth my favorite verse looking for those whose heart is perfect toward him he wants to do great things through you but he can't do it with unbelief Amen. so my parting question is what kind of spirit do you have is it one which wholly follows the lord it's a wonderful question amen it's a wonderful question and folks you want to ask yourself that question, and you want to open up your Bible, and you want to read it, 
and ask yourself that question. And and look, keep your eyes focused on the Lord because there's more of them uh, with with us, that is with the Lord and his people, than there are with them. Amen. Don't be afraid of the giants. Please Amen. go out there and do great things for the Lord. There's a reason why God put the uh, words fear not in the Bible 365 times. Bam. One for every day of the year. Yep. There you go. Well, folks, we're up against our first break, but we're going to be back in just a couple of minutes uh, with our friend, Dr. Ken Maddow. So uh, stay tuned. You're listening to 1180 WFYL, Biblically Speaking, here this morning. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. Words of life, words of hope, give us strength. WFYL, King of Prussia, Philadelphia. Welcome back to It's a New Day. You're listening to 1180 WFYL. Tim Liebig in the studio with our friend Ken Souter. 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 Like Souterton. Like Souterton. (laughs) They named a town after my friend Ken Souter. We are here, biblically speaking, this morning, and we're so glad that you're with us. We do want to remind you that uh, anytime you'd like to uh, like us on Facebook, we really encourage you to do that. Go to our website, 1180wfyl.com. You can listen to the podcasts there. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel now. So you mm. can get Biblically Speaking on YouTube and see these lovely faces. Great. <laughs> and uh, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, hey, Ken. Yeah. I understand for the second segment, we have our friend Dr. Ken Maddow on the phone. We do. Dr. Maddow, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine this beautiful morning. It's- Too cold. Yeah, yeah, it is a little on the nippy side, a little on the nippy side. Well, Dr. Maddow, I have a question for you. Mm. Fire away. Do we accept Christ or does Christ accept us? Mm. Ah, that's the question of the ages. There you go. See, if if you go to many churches, probably about 99% of them, you will hear the preacher say, you need to accept Christ, and once you do, you'll have eternal life. Mm. Uh, but But is that what the Bible teaches? And we have to be very careful uh, in our understanding of salvation because we have to understand it the way the Bible teaches it. And that's what the Reformation was all about, getting us back to the Scriptures. Now, for a person, for uh, salvation, first thing we must understand is, is man's spiritual condition before salvation. In the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, the Bible says, The Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Hmm. Now, we know, that Adam and, we know that Adam and Eve lived physically after that. So we have to understand that what died was their spiritual connection to God. 
Mm-hmm. No longer could they walk with him in the garden anymore because they were now at odds. They literally became the enemy of God. Now, man was plunged into a sp- state of spiritual death, okay? We have physical life, but not spiritual life. And now that spiritual death was passed on to every generation. And we know this because the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And it's a very telling verse because it says, you, Hath he quickened, not us. Mm. Okay? Now, in Ephesians 2, 5, it says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. There's confirmation with Christ. By grace are you saved. Then in Colossians 2.13, Paul once again confirms this. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Mm. Okay, now the word dead in all of these, these three verses in the New Testament is the word necros. It means dead, useless, and lifeless. Hmm. So that means there is absolutely no spiritual life in the unregenerate man. Now, Jesus was speaking to his disciples once, and he was talking about a rich man entering the kingdom of heaven. Now, God doesn't decry riches. He just, he, he wants you to know that a rich man has as much chance for salvation as a, as a poor person. Being poor is not a prerequisite for heaven. Okay? So Jesus spoke to them, and they asked the question, well, who then can be saved? And they said, and Jesus says to them, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And he says this three times in the scriptures, in in the Synoptic Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, the word impossible is the Greek word adonatos, which means unable, powerless, could not do. It is translated impotent, could not do, not possible in other areas of the Bible. Probably the greatest use of it is Hebrews 11.6. And it's a a very popular verse. And it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Mm. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. So therefore, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And I'm going to talk a little bit about faith um, as we go on in in this half hour, um, the type of faith. Now, who initiates salvation? All right, that, that's a big question. We, we, ask, we say that, uh, oh, if you just accept Christ, you know, you're initiating salvation, and you sign on the dotted line, God signs above it, and you're saved. Hmm. Well, there's no such thing as cooperation like that. You, you know what my definition of cooperation is? When you go to a funeral, and the family lines past the casket, and right at the end, the family goes out, and the undertaker... Uh, is getting ready to close the casket, and the guy in the casket reaches up and closes the lid for him. That's the, uh, my idea of cooperation. The, the dead person can't do a thing. Now, uh, I want to just give you one example of the danger of the accept Christ philosophy. Do you remember a fellow named Charles Tex Watson, who was one of the Manson killers in the 
Tate LaBianca murders in 1969. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay? Now, Tex uh, Charles became a Christian in 1975, and he's an ordained minister, ministers to, the, uh, ministers to a lot of the inmates. He made a statement on his website, which is uh, aboundinglove.org, and he says this, At the age of 12, I allowed Jesus to become a part of my life. I thought that giving God some of my life and being sprinkled in baptism would be sufficient to join the ranks of Christianity. Boy, was I wrong. See, if he truly became saved at the age of 12, he would have never got involved with Charles Manson. So walking the aisle and saying a few words means nothing. Uh, It's when God implants his Holy Spirit in you. But I... I'm just digressing for a moment. Mm-hmm. Now, who initiates salvation? In Hebrews 12, 2, the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, mm-hmm. who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So our salvation was authored in heaven and finished on Calvary. When Jesus died, he said, it is finished. No longer, no more salvation, uh, excuse me, no other way of salvation in this world. He finished it. Now, how many times have we heard uh, in, in different churches when they say, uh, you know, if you receive Christ, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. But they never go to verse 13 which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's God's will that a person becomes saved. Okay, now now we saw a little bit a few minutes ago that even when we're dead in sin, he's quickened us together with Christ. Mm-hmm. And in verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now that he's already sees the end from the beginning, he already sees us up in heaven. That's how complete salvation is. Now, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the will of man, because we hear that you got to exercise your will uh, to come to the Lord. Now, once sin had taken hold of Adam and Eve, now they were in a state of sin, meaning they were in darkness. And this penalty for that sin was now handed down from one human being to another. I don't care what the Pelagius said. The Pelagius uh, discount original sin, and they do not believe that it has been handed down. If original sin has not been handed down, then how come we're born spiritually dead until we become saved? Mm. So it's just a question that we need to ponder. Now, in Ephesians 4.18, the Bible says, Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now that man was in sin, the understandings which comes through the intellect was now darkened. And coupling that with spiritual death, they could no longer have spiritual fellowship with God unless something takes place first. And that something is spiritual resurrection, which I will discuss in a few minutes. Now, in the condition of spiritual death, you cannot have a relationship with God because you lack the spiritual connection. As we saw in in Genesis, that spiritual connection was broken when Adam and Eve sinned. Now, in, in 
John 4, 24, it says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. Now, since God is a spirit, and a, a spiritually dead person cannot fellowship with one who is spiritually alive. This is why if you have relatives or, or friends that are unbelievers, just tell them about Jesus, and they'll run as fast as they can. Okay? All right? And now, if you're in a cemetery alone, will, be, will you be able to hear the people in the graves praying? The answer is no. Why? Because they're dead. And that is why God does not hear the prayer of the unbeliever. The living do not hear because they, those who are praying are dead. Now, we always hear this statement from many churches that, well, God only hears one prayer, and that's the prayer of salvation. No, he doesn't, because we do not initiate salvation. God does. Now, since man walked into the state of spiritual death, other things took place too. Limitations were now placed on man, and those limitations were intellect, understanding, physical, faith, and will or determination, which is what the word will means. Mm-hmm. Now, to those who think we do not have limitations, ponder this for a minute. When you go to sleep tonight, and while you are waiting to fall asleep, you have a little time frame till that happens. Think on this one thing and see if you can process it. The Lord Jesus Christ had no beginning. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. And when you try to ponder eternity, you will then find out how limited we are. Mm. Okay? Now, Mm. since we're in a sinful state with limitations, we still have a will, and we still have faith. However, both of these are now tied to the earth. Just as Adam and Eve immediately died spiritually but not physically, that was passed on to every human being. So before salvation, we're in that condition. We have physical life, but we do not have spiritual life. Now the will of man is now limited to the things that we can see, that is the earth. Let's say my own will. I can buy whatever car I want, wear whatever clothes I want, live where I want, partake in hobbies that I want, etc. Anything that's tied to the earth. All the things that we will are all to the earth. If, if people think that they have enough will to will themselves to heaven, I would like to ask them, can you will flu out of your body when you get it next time? Or if you can will the common cold out of your body, we can't. Now, we have faith, but our faith is limited to things of the earth. I have faith when I sit on a chair, it will not break. I have faith when I drive a car, it will not break down. I have a faith my job will be there tomorrow, and I have faith that food I eat in a restaurant will not poison me. So we have faith, but it is severely limited to the things of this world. Mm. So two questions remain. How do I become saved? How do I cross the barrier from the physical to the spiritual world? The answer is simple. You don't because you can't. Okay? Now, I know I'm getting a little more confusing here. But let's let's talk about faith a little bit. I mentioned faith that it's tied to this world, and that would... Limit faith to the secular only. So then what faith is exercised to gain salvation? The answer is simple. None. Because we don't have faith. A dead person has no faith. They got nothing. We have to receive Christ by faith. And if my faith is dead, then how do I get saved by faith? Where does saving faith come from? And the Bible answers that question very clearly. 
Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. Hmm. Faith is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So, what is required to gain faith by the Holy Spirit? It is salvation. Because those without the Holy Spirit are unsaved, meaning they are not of Christ. Hmm. In Romans 8, 9, it says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So, wait a minute. I stated you can't cross the physical to the spiritual barrier, and your faith is dead. So then what must happen before you become saved? And that is a spiritual resurrection, a resurrection of our soul. Being born again, right? You got it. In Revelation 20, verse 5 and 6, it says, The rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. Mm. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, the Bible clearly teaches a single general resurrection. And we must seek to understand that the first resurrection is something different from a resurrection of believers. Let's just explore some unique characteristics of the first resurrection. The key to understanding the first resurrection is found in verse 6, which states, On such the second death has no power. Now, the question is, who is unaffected by the second death, which is a synonym for judgment and hell? True believers. Only the born-again Christian is unaffected by judgment because Christ has already paid for our sins. Therefore, our abode will be heaven, not hell. So every born-again Christian on earth has experienced the first resurrection. I remember some years ago, I'm, I'm not sure if it was on the John Ankerberg show or one of these shows I used to watch. I saw a famous preacher theologian on a talk show mockingly put down this biblical view by saying something has to be dead before it can be resurrected. Okay? Now, we just saw that we're spiritually dead, so something was dead. I wish these theologians would learn their Bibles. That's, 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 that's what needs to be done. That's funny. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. Uh, he offered no alternative teaching, but just a pseudo-intellectual put-down. That's why I don't put too much... Um, I don't put too much stock in, in some of these uh, media theologians. Now, the the word, the Greek word, sonagairo, is used three times in Scripture and refers only to the believer's spiritual resurrection. In Ephesians 2, 6, we read that and said, and hath raised us up together. Then in Colossians 2, 12, it's a fantastic verse because it says, we're buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Mm. God raised Christ from the dead, and it's with the operation of God that we are risen. And in Colossians 3.1, it says, if ye then be risen with Christ. You see, there's three verses that confirm the fact that true believers uh, get a spiritual resurrection in their souls before they can believe. Mm -hmm. Now, Lazarus, uh, in, in John 11, he goes like a 40-some verses in John chapter 11, speaking about Lazarus. Lazarus not only gave us a look at resurrection day when all the believers will be raised from the dead, but it's also a picture of the spiritual resurrection of the believers. Mm -hmm. 
So it's it's really really amazing. Um, you know, when we get down with the Bible, how t- tremendously uh, it teaches that salvation is all of the Lord. Now, I want to go into something which is legal. So those who are lawyers listening will probably appreciate this. In Hebrews 9, 15 to 17, it says, And for this cause he's the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength while the testator liveth. Now, let's ask the question. How does that apply to us? In Revelation 13, 8, the Bible says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. And in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, it says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. This means that Christ in principle was slain before the foundations of the world. And according to Revelation 13, 8, it simply means the names are already written in the Lamb's Book of Life whom God chose to save. Mm. Okay? Now, have you ever been to a reading of a will? Mm. Okay? If not, let me make up a, a, a typical scenario. Well, let's say John Jones had died. And now his family has come to the lawyer's office for the reading of the will. Let's say he was worth $1 million. So the reading of the will is important. The lawyer now reads the will which John made 10 years ago, and for the purpose of better understanding... We'll say his wife had predeceased him, and only the children are now in the will. And he's in the will it says, To my three children I hereby bequeath my entire estate, which is to be divided up equally, my three children being Abigail, Jane, and Deborah. Now the will has been executed, and the estate has been legally divided up. But wait, before the session is over, a neighbor comes in and says to the lawyer, Add my name to that list and divide the estate up four ways. And the lawyer tells the man, I'm sorry, but you cannot just add your name to the will because once a person dies, the will is enforced and cannot be changed. And the neighbor says, yes, but I choose to be part of that estate. And the lawyer says, I'm sorry, you cannot add your name to a document which has been sealed and now enforced. But I will myself to be part of that estate. And the lawyer says, sorry, you cannot add your name to a will already enforced. And with all that name and with all the named inheritors, now please leave. Because we never knew you. Just like a lawyer reading a will, the the death of Christ, all it was a legal document, and it was it's God's total choice in salvation. We're just the recipients of salvation, and we shall be thankful that we are chosen by God because it makes our salvation a lot dearer than the person who falsely proclaims, I accepted the Lord. He accepts us. We do not accept him, just as the Bible teaches. He's the author and finisher of our faith and not us. Uh, and that's, that's one of the greatest things about salvation. If, if we know that God is the one who saved us, he chose us before the foundations of the world, he wrote our name in the Lamb's Book of Life, we'll look at our salvation much more dearer. And 
and we'll, we'll, we would thank him a lot more than the person who goes around saying, this is what I did. Look at me. I gave God permission to work in my life. No, you didn't. Because God holds your next heartbeat in your hand. You know, in Genesis 1.16, it says, and he made the stars also. When you can make the stars like God did, then I'll believe you You can give God permission. But you can't. So it, it, it's really something very serious uh, about our salvation. Well, we say we initiate it. The Bible says, no, God is the one who initiated it. He's the one who fulfilled it. Christ is the one who finished it on Calvary. So for, for us to, to literally take credit for our salvation when it was all of Christ, is, re is to show us really how far the church has walked away from biblical truth. This is why Bible believers are literally kicked out of churches mm. because people want to people want to walk in in the false teachings rather than the truth. And it, it, it's really a shame that so many of them, so many churches are like that when they get up there and say, "Just accept the Lord," and that's it. He accepts us. We're the ones who walked away from Him. We're the ones who sinned. God never left us. We left him. Mm -hmm. And 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 that's a very, very important thing to understand that it was not God who did it. It was us who decided to sin and and stray. So, but in his mercy, he could have let the entire uh, world go by attrition and let us all go to hell. But he said, no, I choose to save millions of people from hell. And I know a lot of people will say, "Oh, that's Calvinism." Well, I didn't. I didn't quote Calvin tonight, did I? I quoted the Bible. <laughs> and one thing about uh, the reformers, like John Calvin, what they did was they brought us back to the Bible. If the Bible says election, it's election. It's not God looked down the corridors of time and saw who He was going to accept of. No, it's election, mm -hmm. chosen beforehand. And that's what it is. This is what the Bible teaches. Uh, I'm sorry for those who believe that they have free will, but we, we don't. You are either a servant of righteousness or a servant of sin. Just like in Star Trek, there's no neutral zone. You're one or the other. Maybe they should try reading a book called The Bondage of the Will by Martin Luther, right? Oh, that's, a, that's, an, excellent, that's an excellent book. Excellent book. Um, because uh, Martin Luther pegged it. Mm -hmm. He knows that the, the will was in bondage, mm -hmm. and as long as uh, a person is in sin, they're always going to be in bondage. And uh, it, it's, it's nothing but so slavery. What you're we saying, we only, really, yeah, we only have a few minutes left here. I did want to get a few questions in just for those who might be listening and, and thinking, you know, I'm trying to anticipate what kind of questions they may ask. But what you are saying is potentially there's a false gospel out there in many churches today. And false converts and people who think they're saved who really are not saved. Is that is that what you might be saying? Oh, absolutely. Exactly what I'm saying. Because what happens is, is that people uh, walk the aisle, and many children walk the aisle, and what they do is they get a mother and father's salvation. You know, the mommy and daddy says, look, my five-year-old walked the aisle. Most five-year-olds don't even know what the word sin means. And uh, uh, many people walk the aisle. Like in, in Billy Graham uh, Crusades, an excellent example. Um, majority of those people that walked the aisle never became saved. If you want to test if somebody has truly become saved, you wait about a year and you see if they're walking with the Lord or back in the world. Here's, then a, you question. Know. Here's a question for you, though. John the Baptist, it says, was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. In fact, he leapt in the womb when he uh, knew that Jesus was very close by to him, right? 
So was That's he correct. was he born again from cell, from the womb? Was he was he filled with the spirit? Oh, if he was filled with the spirit, you, you, he sure was born again, definitely. Right. So he didn't make a decision. No, he didn't make he didn't make a decision. Same way Lazarus didn't make a decision. When the Lord said, "Lazarus, come forth," did Lazarus say, "I don't know. I think I'm going to exercise my free will and stay in the tomb. I don't have to face the Spook Hill Expressway in the morning. That sounds great. You know, I I can rest, relax. I don't have to go to work. No. When when the Lord said, "Lazarus, come forth." Lazarus came, came forth. forth. That's right. And when Jesus said, you must be born again, I asked the question, what part did you have in your birth, your natural physical birth? Exactly. Nothing. We didn't choose our parents, did we? No. That's right. We weren't here. We weren't even in existence. Exactly. So if any man in Christ, he's a new creature. In other words, God creates a new person, a new spiritual being that wasn't there before. It's not just an That's intellectual correct. decision. And even and if those, uh, and even... There are those who didn't who never become saved, and Proverbs sixteen four says God even created the wicked for the day of evil. Mm-hmm. Right. So you know, uh, you know, we're the clay; he's the he's the potter. And what we don't want to uh, do is acknowledge that fact. In our pride and arrogance, we want to say that it's all of us. We did it. Uh, I give God permission. I mean, I've heard I've heard people on the radio say things like. Well, I've given God permission to work in my life. Right. Let me tell you something. He could take you out in, in, in a nanosecond. Right. You don't. You don't give God permission. You know. Right. You ask Him. You talk with Him, and ask Him different things. But you don't say, oh, "I'll give you permission." Yeah, right. Uh, the, the one who the one who split the Red Sea. I'm gonna I'm gonna mess with him. No, I I'm I may be uh, dumb, but I'm not stupid. Well. Unfortunately, we are running up against the clock, and uh, as always, uh, Ken, I do appreciate you uh, coming on. Your wealth of knowledge is phenomenal. I know you've been studying the Word of God for many, many years, and um, it shows. And so, uh, praise God for that. And we uh, just want to say, is there any final any final thoughts before we uh, close out the hour? Yeah, well, the next time I come on, we'll talk about can a person lose their salvation. That seems to be something else that's plaguing the church. All these false teachings are of Satan, and mm-hmm. we've got to be very careful that we that we guide our Christian lives according to the Bible, not what some theologian says, not what a commentary says, not even what our pastor says. Yeah, They all have to be checked out according to the Scriptures, to... and if they're wrong, they're wrong. Mm-hmm. You live your life according to the truth, study the King James Bible, and you'll have your your life will become much stronger, and you'll become um, much more authoritative in your mm. Christian walk. I always like and to say more knowledge, more power with God. You got it. More power Amen. with God. Well, anyway, good stuff. We really appreciate you coming on, and we will look forward to uh, our next time. You so, got it, Ken. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Doctor right. Matto. Thank you for joining us, folks. This wraps up another edition of Biblically Speaking. You are listening to 1180 WFYL. Tim Liebig and Ken Souter signing off for today. We'll see you the next time. Take care, guys.